Hey everybody and welcome to this week's It's No Time Cop where we'll be reviewing the new film by Michael Dow's Goon. So let's go. Everybody, uh, this is Cody Robinson. Once again, I'm joined with my good friend Gabriel. Uh, Hello, lovers. My other good friend Ibrahim Hi ho. And uh, we essentially said the same thing, but I was a gentleman about it. <laughs> uh, we're hoping all of you are doing well tonight. Uh, we're we're hoping that this time the voice quality will be actually up to snuff and not complete dog shit like it was last week. Um, so I yeah, think we sounded lovely. Yeah, you didn't listen to it. I didn't listen to exactly. it. Exactly. So right away, we're going to go right into movie news. A little coming attractions. Rock and roll. Ibrahim, take us away. So uh, I came across uh, the trailer to... I came across the trailer to uh, Fantastic Fear of Everything, new Simon Pegg film. It's about, uh, who's doing it? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Some dude. Some dude. Um, basically, it's about uh, this writer, children's book writer, who becomes a detective writer and starts, like, I don't know, spazzing out and seeing shit. Uh, it was an interesting trailer. I'm not, qu not quite sure. Uh, it sounds kind of, that sounds pretty cool, I must say. I mean, as I'm in... I, lo I love the mysteries, and I, I as much as I liked Bored to Death, I still feel that they did not capitalize anywhere near as well as they could have on a um, random person becoming a P.I. noir-style thing. Well, so, from the, uh, the log line is, um, he is a character about a guy who once wrote children's books but has turned to crime novels. But his crime research has taken a serious toll on his psyche and emotional well-being, and he eventually has his own run-in with the killer. Um, I'd like, I mean... If I was to know if, like, if someone saw I was writing and directing it, I'd be very much behind it. I mean, I feel, I feel that, you know, that Simon Pegg has had a very missed career when it comes to American filmmaking without the help of Edgar Wright. I mean, I feel that Simon Pegg is indubitably talented, but at the same time, doing um, How to Lose Friends and, and Run Fat Boy Run, um, I mean, it just was not anywhere near par as what I'd hoped he'd be able to do. True, I... Uh... Yeah, at this point, obviously, Star Trek... Well, Star Trek is his biggest Star movie, Trek, period. But uh, he, he has had a, a very mixed bag um, outside of that. Yeah, yeah, he did that movie with David Schwimmer. Um, Easy. Something like the big score. The, or and, a heist and, film. And uh, Run, Run Fat Boy Run. Run. Yeah. Entirely forgettable films. Yeah. Um, Pegs up and doing the first movies. one, actually, he does an American accent. It's really, it's, it sounds really funny. Interesting. See, I feel like he works best uh, with Edgar Wright, like you said. Oh, I feel like anybody works best with Edgar Wright. Yeah, so, he's just proved that wrong. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So, I know you. Gabriel? Uh, my news. Um, well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, several years ago, um, I came across a trailer called Jay and Seth vs. the Apocalypse. And it starred um, Jay Baruchel, who happens to have been the writer and one of the stars of the film we're reviewing this week, Goon. Um, it's Jay Baruchel and our favorite Seth Rogen. 
where um, it's a trailer they made for a fake movie where it's just the two of them in the apocalypse as best friends who now hate each other of some sort. And it's just a comical three-minute or so tra fake trailer of the two of them, these two slacker types in the apocalypse, screaming at each other because the world is ended. Apparently, this movie's happening now. And it's just called The Apocalypse. And I'm just, oh, first of all, the news is that this is actually happening. Second of all, um, apparently Aziz Ansari has joined it. And I think from the logline I've read, it, the setup is that at a party at James Franco's house, The Apocalypse happens. And, Jay, and, and um, James Franco's there, and Jay Baruchel and Seth Rogen are all there. And Aziz Ansari now, apparently. And it's going to be The Apocalypse. And I, I highly recommend anybody look at this trailer right now because it's legit and funny. And I'm from just the I'm I'm really I, I should I'm really sold on just the log, but cast and crew, especially writer and director, that will sell me like sight unseen. And this sounds like a win to me. And so let's hope it'll live up to it if it goes all goes through. Okay. I actually have not previewed that trailer, so I very yeah, I, I mean I like everyone involved. I I feel. With that group of people, they've yet to really prove me wrong or do something I didn't approve of Agreed. in some form or another. No, I mean, it sounds excellent. I love uh, post-apocalyptic movies. I love these guys. Well, and I feel this certain group, if you don't mind me, Fletcher and Ibrahim, uh, it's, they've kind of taken a uh, thrill to just putting their stamp, this collective Apatowian crew, which is what they are. Yeah, know, pretty much. Putting their own stamp on these different genres. And Goon tonight is very much a, you know, representative of representation that. of that. Um, in the same way, Fifty Fifty was about the heartfelt, the, the cancer drama. Um, you know, Knocked Up was the pregnancy drama. It, it seems like they're taking these what would naturally be dramatic um, stories and putting their comedic twist or their own little stamp on it. I um, Question to that: Would you call that a movement by at all? Do you, do you see I that as a movement? movement is something that is going to be discussed in 20 years in film school. Right now, I feel... I feel it's a strong something. trend. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think movement is the right word at all. I think that, that there are trends people follow. I think movement is something revolutionary. And I think this is a trend in the sense that it has changed um, the way that an industry will think about the way the movies they make. I think a movement is an entire collected movement, of, not to reuse the term, term into a new territory. Is the, the Apatow trend, I don't think it's anything really new. It's just a collective of people who want to make a different kind of comedy. Well, I will actually stand out and say that you're now proving his theory about it being a movement, <clears throat> being more on the lines that this is... It is the same group of people. It's not like Kevin Smith tried to copy what Apatow does. And I felt failed in, hard. In Zack and Mary. Other people have tried to create that. Like she's out of my league. Absolutely. But they seem to take these legitimate concepts like pregnancy. Now there's now there's she's having a baby. There's been pregnancy comedies in the past. But this was the first time we ever saw one that actually takes it to term. Um... You know, and then with something like Fifty Fifty, this that, that was the legitimate first cancer comedy. That was a movie that literally, you know, as as he put it best, anyone can make you cry when they're talking about cancer. It takes someone with some talent to make you laugh. make you laugh. And 
you know, whether it's a, a personalized movement, I, I think Ibrahim, I don't know, I guess when you said movement, it was more along the ideas of, like, is Filmscape going in that direction? But No. Uh, I, it's definitely with, there's this crew, this... Exactly. You know, okay, no, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I misread thing. you in that case. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, more used, I'm more used to, uh, you know, movement in the sense of the new wave movement or something. Well, I mean, that's exactly what the new wave was back then. Uh, you know, it was, it was a band ago. of characters. Exactly, and that's what this is shaping up to be. Who knows, fifty years from now. Where... Honestly, like, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I, I would love if, if I honestly would have considered fifty fifty part of that. I haven't seen it. I may, may admit that at first, mm-hmm. but man, it seems to me that that that's separate. That's included only for the sheer fact that Seth Rogen is a that's part of it. That's not true. Seth Rogen was actually friends with the uh, the writer, the writer, and he had a lot to do with that creative process. I dig it, but also man, I, um, I, I, my, he, my, he knew him. As he was going through this. My, my point being, as John C. Riley became part of the hilarious comedy crew, the, the I think McKay, McKay, yeah. the McKay, the General McKay. Because there's, well, there's two there. factions. There's McKay, and which Evans is Will Fifth, or Will Fifth, Will, Will Fifth, Farrell, Will Farrell, Will Farrell the Fifth, <laughs> Will Farrell, um, Paul Rudd. Um, he tends to jump both sides. Yeah, Paul Rudd is always a um, fence stripper there. Uh, you have Keckner, uh, Dave Keckner. Yeah. Um, Carell. Yeah, the, the Anchorman um, crew. Yeah, the Anchorman people. Eventually, like, I agree semi-pro that. 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 The, and McKay then you the... and the Apatow crew mm-hmm. are separate, but they feel they do overlap in the sense of general... There's only so many funny people. They are very... They're the funniest two warring... They're the Jets and the Sharks of comedy. But they're not fighting. Yeah. They love each other. Yeah, exactly. They, no, they, they but again, together. my, my, early, my earlier com- comedic point being that as John C. Riley jumped from Paul Thomas Anderson's sincere, devastating dramas, I think it would be hilarious and great if... I, I would love to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt return to comedy as great as he is as a comic actor and a serious action actor. I think it would be great to see him really pull some great comic chops and maybe pull something silly. Something wacky, like yeah, like Third Rock from the like Sun. Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, it's totally within his wheelhouse. I would love to see him do something silly. I, Hesher, notwithstanding. Well, even there, that was that was like a depth. Like, that was still a drama. That was comedy. like a Johnny Depp type role. You yeah, know, it was it was this very wacky character. Um, a dramedy. Yeah, An absurd dramedy. Levitz would be one that I think it'd be very easy to have. I remember his SNL was hilarious. He, I've been uh, trying to watch that monologue for months through the licensing rights. I've never able to watch it. That's unfortunate, but he and uh, apparently it features one of my favorite movies. It's Singing in the Rain. He doesn't make him laugh, and I haven't able to see this shit. Yeah, he uh, he definitely he's he's one of those actors that he has the ability. It's just he's, he's a handsome young actor. He's so handsome, and he can play a lead. And he can play an action guy too. In Mysterious Skin, if I met that prostitute, I I'm I'm a, a quite straight man. I don't think I'd say no. Anyway, let, uh, Cody, let's move on to your news. Alright, this week it's about the sequel we've all been waiting for. The sequel that has kept Triplets? us up at night. No. Oh. The sequel that we will one day tell our children about. Raging Bull 2. A pit dropped in my stomach. <laughs> I, 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 um... Whoa, whoa, before you get there, it is directed by National Lampoon's cattle call director, Marco... Mark... What? Martin... Gugino. Oh, dude, dude! Thank God, Martin Goo something is doing it. Thank God, because I was afraid that they were gonna bring back Martin Scorsese. 
Because uh, clearly, Raging Bull 1 is a film that needed a lot to improve upon. Oh, I know. Because black I mean, and white. Black, black and white. white. <laughs> I hope it's 3D. Yeah. Exactly. And it follows um, Jake LaMotta in his retirement home and him getting beat on or some, some shit. Which it will be. April Fool's was last week. Really? <laughs> For real? Yes. No, this is really happening. For real. Um, it's apparently at this moment, uh, Jake LaMotta will be played by... No, okay, William stop Forsyth. there. William oh. Forsyth. Oh, oh my God. Which Bad William Forsyth? Okay, I'm a, 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 a lovely note, I believe, for our listeners. I think the first time that me, Cody, and Ibrahim actually fully really hung out was when we went all see Raging Bull yeah. together in oh a movie God. theater. Yeah, and I, I remember... At the Film Forum in New York City. Yep, I, I remember that I didn't even sit before. with you guys. Yeah, you guys, we came in late because we're irresponsible. Yeah, and but I, I was I, on time. I saw, a, I saw a gentleman in front of me that I could have sworn was Cody, but I didn't want to be like, Cody, to a random dude. I thought, you know, that, but it was him, and we had a great time. Yeah, I will absolutely... After we realized it was each other. Exactly. No, um... Of course... William Forsythe... Um, it, the actual Jake LaMotta has said that, uh, you know, of course the first film was amazing and it told this great story about the first half of his life. You're fucking better. He wants Raging Bull to be about, Raging Bull 2, more bully, bullier, still breaking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, I hope in my bully is more Harmony Kareem. He, uh, he wants Sorry, to, Clark. he wants to talk more about his later life and he wants to discuss what he's gone through since the film. And, uh, yeah. I, I could I mean, be behind that if, so, if a stellar, monstrous crew were behind it. Yeah. I think this is how it would have been if in the 90s I was conscious. Someone was, someone was like, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and Al Pacino are doing Godfather 3. I'm, like, I'm behind it. Mm-hmm. They 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 struck lightning. I'm not sure it's a good idea, but they might do something worthwhile. And they did something mediocre. They did something worth worth celluloid, but not yeah, worthy of the I franchise. I I'm not even sure worth two and a half hours of time, but you know, worth having put into your life. I don't know. And of course, Martin Scorsese did come forward and say something. He did not. He no, he did. Well, what did he say? Um, they asked him, uh, "What now? What can you say about Raging Bull 2? Did he vomit uncontrollably? No, this is what he said. Played. He's been playing this business for a while. Very diplomatic. Okay. He said, Oh, nothing I could say about it except I don't think I could revisit the material, as they say. I think we said what we needed to say at the time. All of us moved on. I really don't know what Raging Bull would be. And that was it. Go Marty. <laughs> that's High him, Road. That's him just being like, Marty, High Road, Scorsese. I didn't say anything. Good call. Good call, Marty. Um, I don't know. I, uh, now, for me, Raging Bull doesn't have what I call a certain place. It's, it's obviously a great film. Oh, it's absolutely. masterful, you know, we made. Um, but yeah, I don't have the kind of attraction I think some people tend to. I'm, I mean, I think it's fantastic. And I imagine that some people hold this high-regard sex driver. Ibrahim, you've been awfully strange silent on the matter. Yeah. What's, your, what's, mean, your, what's your two cents on this? Uh... I just wish it didn't carry the uh, Raging Bull name. If they're going to do another Jake LaMotta story, then sure. But uh, it, it's not uh, a Scorsese film. You know, Raging Bull to me is, uh, as much as it may be telling the story of this Jake LaMotta, it, it's a Scorsese film. And for them to be taking that name and 
you know, it, it's really just marketing. I, mean, I agree with you. I honestly, when Cruel Intentions 2 came out, <laughs> I was furious because it had nothing to Cruel Intentions 1. I'm just saying Cruel. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm on your corner. Except for Amy Adams, a young Amy oh, Adams yeah. playing. Hilarious. Apparently that was actually a pilot for a show. Yeah, they cut into that. making a movie. Yeah. But sorry, um, Amy, go on. Um, no, I mean, it, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to... Is it? <laughs> Ibrahim, you said you could stop these things. Fight it! <laughs> and, uh, Throw the Use your brown out magic! Make it happen! <laughs> hey, now... <laughs> Uh, Use your magic dark person powers. And uh, when it does come out, I'm going to watch it. I mean, let's face if, it. If not for purely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To see what their novel purposes. Yeah. Uh, oh, not, not, not to sound like the pretentious film fuck of the crew. It's, would you really want to see that? I mean, I don't want to see what, I don't want to pay harm? for it. I'm not going to see that. What's the harm in it? That's true. Two hours of my life is the harm of it. I mean, it's like, okay, let's let's talk Princess Bride. I'd rather be strapped into a chair by Christopher Guest and have him press a button and me be in agony for a minute that is two hours of my life. That's going to take that away from me. No, see... Let's uh, be economical. Uh, I get it. I get it. I get uh, why someone would be, uh, you know, riled up over it. And, you know... Uh, maybe a younger me would get around that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know. It, In your it's... wise samurai ears. Yeah. Uh, two years later. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, films, they become institutions, especially these bigger ones. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, the anger comes from the sullying of these institutions, like uh, alien uh, Ninja Turtles being aliens now. Yeah. But uh, it's gonna happen. I was anyway. kind of hoping to say that aliens being Ninja Turtles now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Michael Bay, you silly, you silly bastard. But uh, I, I mean, all you can do the, that just because these movies come out and carry the name doesn't make the, the great ones lesser, any lesser. Exactly. You know? I, I definitely I agree with you. Said if if by any other name. It really like like um, what is it? Legend of Blackwood. Or the the recent film it had a Sam Shepard in it as an aging uh, Bush Cass Butch Cassidy. Oh, that's fun. As a pseudo sequel, um, to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, you can't uh, you can't call it Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid too. It just it doesn't work. You know. Yeah, exactly. I think Blackthorn. Is Blackthorn. That's it. Yeah. I mean it. it I'm you know, open it's a, to that. It's, that's, like, that's it's almost like fan fiction. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's a fan fiction sequel, and if I like it, if it's well-written fan fiction, I'm going to want to make it canon. Yeah. You know, but if it's shitty, like, and Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid, you know, it was really cold out that night, and he said, Butch, why don't you come over and play with me? And he looked at the <laughs> Sundance Kid, and, you know, he felt something stirring. Inside. Some slash fiction. If it's, yes. like, slash fiction... I might read it. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Actually, I did read it. That, that's that's from my slash fiction. Beautiful. Butch in the Sundance Kid. I'm but, a, um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, it, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's going to be there. It's going to exist. Hell, if, if it comes on Netflix Instant Watch, you know, maybe. Maybe if I got the time, if I'm sitting around. Because trust me, game, you waste enough time. 
in the afternoon. You know, no, agreed. If, 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 I, if I am drunk as all hell and Cody says, let's watch this movie on my DVR, I'm like, well, why the hell not? And <laughs> I will watch it. And I'll be like, that wasn't half and I'm asleep. <laughs> but, I mean, I... I, I can I will accept that this might be good and I will read the reviews for it. I will anticipate the reviews for it because I will be open to the thought that this will be magically good. But I don't like relying on critics' choice. Yeah. And if the critics say this is surprisingly great, I will absolutely give it a chance. But on title alone, and I know this is a critical fault of mine, on title alone, on reputation alone, this sounds like a fucking piece of dog shit. I'm sorry. And there we are with that. So, uh, final little piece of news. Um, they've officially announced X-Men First Class Part 2, or Sophomore Year, or, you know, still classing. I kind of hope there's, uh, some, there's, some, there's some sexy hijinks. More sexy hijinks more. in this one. Um, is actually going into production as of uh, January 2013. I heard that Matthew Vaughn's still in, but there, has anyone else signed on? That's not for sure. Everyone signed contracts. See, and oh, that's man. where the story truly lies. This, of course, X-Men 2 will happen. And but, the contracts made fill me a fear. I mean, you told me the story of Christian Bale's contract. Yeah, which, whatever, that, that now with superhero films, it is very vital they sign everyone on to multi-film contracts. Where this is coming into the first hiccup is a little movie called The Hunger Games came out. The starring, Hunger Games? Starring one of the leads of X-Men First Class, Jennifer Lawrence. Now, she was contracted to be in X-Men 2. As of this time, of course, Hunger Games already making $200 million at the box office. They're rushing right away to make Catching Fire the sequel. And they wanted to shoot during December of 2012. Which is X-Men Which time? is right before X-Men time. So it means they've been negotiating with one another. And they've negotiated to go that they're going to start shooting in the fall. Okay. To start doing that. But she's... Her ass is in the blue paint by January. Fair enough. The only slight problem that has is, is reshoots. Because as, you know, we know in the film industry, or people in the film industry know... Agreed. After a film is made, you have to go back. And it's not even to make it better. It's not even to make it better, per se. Some filmmakers, Edgar Wright, for example, always, um, you know... Just do it. Scott Pilgrim. Just because sometimes you just miss something. Yeah, it's it's adding a little bit of clay to a stoltz culture. Exactly. But at the end of the day, the big news is is that it's it's just... It's not so much news so much as it's an interesting little insight into the Hollywood film system and being an actor in contracts. Um, she's doing it all, baby. Yeah, yeah, she's she's looking to have a good couple of years. Oh yeah, honestly, I'm 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 quite impressed with it. Really, like we're reading this news. That I mean, if I feel that for me, my 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 uh, if I may, my my gold crown of of acting, giving glory is Michael J. Fox doing um, Family Ties, um, five days a week, and also Back to the Future five days a week. The man slept two hours a night for something like three months to make both these things happen. And both still stand the test of time. It's honestly Jennifer Lawrence is today's have, Michael J. Fox. I yes, know. <laughs> I and the sense that Michael J. Fox, if her, I believe in her. <laughs> Harvey Dent style. That is such a statement. I, I believe that Jennifer Lawrence girl. She gets a thumbs have up you seen? Me. Have you seen Winter's Bone yet, Cody? No, I haven't. Cody, Cody, uh, Abraham, have you seen Winter's Bone? No, I wish I had. I'm, I'm the standalone here. Any of you who listen to this have seen Winter's Bone. 
You know, and if, and if like me, being a little, you know, fanboy here of appreciation, Jennifer Lawrence, I read her Rolling Stone interview. She's a lovely girl who has a Michael J. Fox appeal, if I may. She, um, she... This less She, yeah, exactly. She destroyed... She, honestly, on a weaker year for more giving Academy Awards, she would have had that Best Actress for Winter's Bone. Which it was Best Actress. I re-listened that episode best of me saying... Actress. Best Supporting Actress. I was retarded. Best I have no actress. idea what I was talking about. No, Best Actress. I think she would have had it because she... Shook me to my bone in that, and I think we're just going. We're just But no, she. I think that I. I am. I've not remembered being so excited about an actress or actress career in a long time. This girl, as long as she plays her cards right, which is her choices, I think she has a long, amazing career ahead of her. So you were me think. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Think she's hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you love yeah, white you women. <laughs> Which takes me to our next section. This week, uh, instead of doing what we've been watching, because that can only be interesting for so long, we're doing right. a little feature section where I talk about race and casting in nerdy properties. So we're just going to take a two-second little break and be right back to talk about it. <laughs> section some apologies for if you hear any sound in the background we date puerto rican women and when they cook have friends around delightful beautiful wonderful puerto rican women now i'm gonna be in trouble because i didnn't say that no add on i should have said add on, no doesn't even matter now now i'm already in trouble hold on i can edit this all right hold on edit hell yeah all right my beautiful and wonderful girlfriend that's so great to me. Yeah, she's wonderful. Okay. So sad. I love editing. I love editing. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, <laughs> Stop it, delete it, because you're going to cut the files. But. Anyway, so it's, it's a little noise. We have some friends over tonight. Um, so we're sorry about that in the background. Now, uh. On to what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, the, Is there a title to this feature, Katie? It's called... Yes. There was a couple different ones, but eventually it's just going to be called Shut the Fuck Up. I dig it. And this week's... And, and this week's installment of Shut the Fuck Up is entitled Fanboys. And fangirls, because this, this definitely applies to them as well this time around. Um... I want to first start off with, of course, a few uh, few years ago, there was the obvious casting had come out for the recent Spider-Man film, to which the actor Donald Glover, best known for Community and his uh, internet shorts with Derek Comedy, had, you know, dropped a very humorous question of, well, if Peter Parker lives with his aunt and uncle in Queens, New York, he's a total dork, and is poor, he's probably ethnic. Which he said, of course, in jest. But then the, the, there came this little band of supporters in the internet world. Because we live in a time where everybody, everything you said can be, you know, either championed or, you know, hailed as evil by the internet. 
i.e. the recent Ninja Turtles activity. So, as this uh, thing formed, there were, there were many supporters that said, why not, just give Donald the, give, give him, give him the, uh, the audition. There also became this very dark and disgusting um, part of the internet crowd that started voicing the opinion of, but Spider-Man is white. And not just saying, well, you know, I just, he's a good actor, I like him, but, you know, not to be a dick, but for me, Spider-Man, it's white, and it's not, you know, I mean, you could still work on that as a racial issue, but, but that's a psyche racist issue, as opposed to people bluntly saying that they would not take a black man being Peter Parker. Their Peter Parker was white. And... Eventually, uh, Donald has spoken about this and even done some comedy about it, about the horrendous hate mail he got about wanting to portray this character and not even realistically thinking it would happen. He never actually had the audition. He never got as far to even truly be considered. You know, he might have not even been the best guy for the role. And then, of course, it went, with, went to Andrew Garfield and to both young actors, you know, credit, they've since kept a very close relationship surrounding this issue, tweeting back and forth, taking pictures together, commenting on, you know, each other's, you know, successes, to, to hope to quell the, uh, the disgusting, disgusting, hateful outlash from these, I wish it would be more fringe operations, which, unfortunately, that's all we thought they were until... The character of Miles Morales was introduced in the Ultimate Spider-Man line um, in the comic book realm. Now, what to be known about the Ultimate Spider-Man line is, is that it's a diverged universe from the actual uh, normal Marvel continuity. In this one, it began around 2001. Peter Parker's, you know, yet again, 15-year-old kid from Spider-Man. This time he works for the net division of the Daily Bugle. Just an update of the character without actually abusing the original continuity and storyline. Well, ultimately, they decided Brian Bendis. And it's been said that it kind of had a little to do with the, the Donald Glover fallout, that he wanted to kill Peter Parker, because no one's ever done that. Um, and he wanted to create a black Spider-Man, or in this case, a half-black, half-Puerto Rican Spider-Man named Miles Morales. Yet again, when this happened, and this is the comic book world, which has seen its, you know, has, in the last 10 years has seen a consistent drop in their product and people buying, um, became headline news once again from, you know, especially the, uh, the right, the, the right media, Fox News and such like. And, I mean, it's very easy to pick on them for their old white man rickety-ass ways, but it was definitely you were hearing them saying, you know, oh, he's black and he's homosexual, which he never was gay, as Brian Bendis put it. No, I said that he could be gay and it wouldn't make it worse. Why does him being gay be, is, is an issue? Um, it was a really unfortunate era um, that I'd hoped that, you know, as things had gone along, you know, I, of course, I mean, if you want to bring up discussions of why isn't Batman black? Why isn't Superman? You know, sure. I guess if you want to get in those arguments, and then I've had, you know, and, and I've 
people can say what they want about my opinion on it. Uh, as far as Batman goes, realistically, you can't do it because of the old Wayne money. Wayne money is old. It's going to be less realistic to find a, a black billionaire dressing up as a bat. Also, and then at the same time, too, why isn't Superman? To which my only reply is, and it, it gets an occasional look in the eye that's kind of a little ricochet, but it, you know, you can think what you want, but. You know, I once asked my very good friend, Ryan, who's African-American, I said, what color is Santa Claus? He said, Santa Claus is white. And Superman Superman is Santa Claus level iconography. Iconography? Iconography. Thank you, Dave, for the backup. Um, being that... Everyone knows what Superman looks like. They don't essentially know his name is Kal-El. They don't know essentially he's from Krypton. They know the green glowing rock hurts him and that Christopher Reeve wasn't. But yet he does have a certain level of notability within society and culture. Um, now, am I going to go and say racist tyrants? And being a huge Batman and Superman and a DC fan in general, if they decide to make them black, if you can find a good storyline... Like they've recently done with uh, Batwing, which is a uh, character in DC about an African Batman, which is an amazing, amazing story. Um, it's actually one of the better written ones, and written by one of my favorites, um, uh, Brian Q. Miller. Uh, I, I definitely, I find it, I, I find that if you can do it right, then fine. There's, there should be no debate. This now brings me, and, and I've been able to let it go because I just think of, you know, overweight um, losers sitting in their parents' basement. You know, by no means the young, the, the, the future of America, I guess, at this point. Because I guess, you know, my age group is America, or pretty much around that. But, you know, the, the teenage audience, I, was, I, was, I expected more from them. Uh... Unfortunately, I was wrong. This last uh, couple of weeks since the uh, release of The Hunger Games has seen an onslaught, not since seeing the uh, Donald Glover Black Spider-Man thing. With, uh, within the film, there's a character, Rue, which we spoke about before. She's a young girl, who, uh, 12 years old, who is brought to The Hunger Games and becomes a ward of Jennifer Lawrence's uh, character, Katniss. And, you know, we, all three of us found her character extremely moving and touching. And, you know, our, our hearts sank when she met her ultimate fate within the film. That, of course, well, and while most people would probably be on our side, there is, unfortunately, this uh, terrible and um, disheartening wave of people that have come out and spoken up against her. I think the comments speak for themselves, so unfortunately, if you uh, don't like these comments, you know, by all means I understand, but they need to illustrate. These are Twitter posts from uh, certain users. One, why does Rue have to be black? Not gonna lie, kinda ruined the movie. Next, ew, Rue is black? I'm not watching. Another one. Awkward moment when Rue is some black girl, not the little blonde innocent girl you pictured. 
and then finally another one. Call me racist, but when I found out Rue was black, her death wasn't so sad. Yeah. Um, you can't see the other guys with me's reactions, but uh, horrifying. Rue is, of course, played by the 14-year-old the African-American actress um, named Amandel Steinberg. Or Mandela, Mandela, Amanda Steinberg. We've had issues with this one before. Um, who really her only other biggest credit is playing young Zoe Saldana in Colombiana. Uh, now, of course, people are wondering, well, everyone keeps asking in the book, was she black or white? In the book, it's literally only said she has dark brown skin and eyes. But other than that, she's very much like Prim, Cadence's sister, in size and demeanor. It obviously is left open to one's interpretation. And the truth is, if you don't make Rue black, every major character in that film is as white as I am. And leaves very little open. Um, and making both Rue and Thresh, which is the, also another who, who valiantly saves Katniss at one point um, in the film, you know, they both were cast as African-Americans. And, you know, it, for, for being that there is such a lull of color in the film, it was nice to, you know, the, the what color there is to make it a positive force, you know, for better or for worse within the film. It's disheartening to, uh, to hear this kind of talk against people. I was a nerd. I was a geek. I got beat up. I got called fat. I got faggot. Any terrible word you want to get thrown at me. I was that kid in high school. And I can only assume that a handful of these people saying these terrible things were those people too. But when they say these things, it makes all those people that ever treat you like shit right. Because you're weird. And you're wrong. And it's we're, we're lucky enough to live in a time where we can find community. Now, you're not supposed to only have friends that have your exact likes and exact interests. It doesn't make you well-rounded. But it's a lot easier in this day and age to find people that can accept you. But if you spend that time spewing out hateful, disgusting remarks, especially towards a 12-year-old girl, guess what? You can go fuck yourself. Comments? Ibrahim, I would like to hand this off to you immediately because I want to be quite concise about this. So, um, and it should be stated, I guess. I mean, to to put it in parameters, I'm white. Obviously, yes. Cody, I'm white. Ibrahim, you are half Moroccan, I, Puerto Rican. <laughs> Moroccan, Puerto Rican. Love you, Mike. And I am Filipino. Um, but also for several other back, a slight quick background thing, um, Cody and I are from fairly white backgrounds. As as while Cody is white as balls, yep. driven snow, I also was raised in an incredibly suburban white neighborhood. And being Asian, it's fine. Ibrahim, um, what to say? I mean, it's uh, god awful that uh, such things, uh, such. Uh, thought, such a mode of thought, I guess, exists 
uh, continues to exist uh, today. And it's unfortunate that the internet is used um, to uh, disseminate this thought. Um, all I can say is, I don't know, uh, it's deplorable. Um, what else is there to say, you know? Uh, it, <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> Abraham is, is the quiet <coughs> Martin Luther King understanding that it's wrong. Martin. I, audience, will be Malcolm X on the matter, and I'll be quite simple. Fuck all y'all. Shut your goddamn fucking mouths. So she's black. So the flying ever fuck what? If read the fucking Spider-Man books where he's black, they're awesome. You're an asshole. You're a fucking asshole. If they're bad because he's ethnic, you are a bad person. Game over. That's all I have to say. I'm glad we cut to lighthearted, Gabe. I'm so glad. I, I thought it was gonna go to a really dark place. I was. I was gonna take it. I was gonna take it really dark. No, no, no. I. I feel. You know what? Thank you. Bravo. I mean, yeah, th I, I thank you for your appreciation of my restraint. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I kept all racial slurs out of it. So we're gonna take a little break right now, but when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit about the goon, or rather, goon. I might do water. I might do water. I might do water. I am not the second coming of the first wave. Better get an army because the fire let me unscathed. You bet you better know we're on the top of the ship. I'll stick around because I give you a just a few step out the octone. Get back against tongue. Idiotic sense of yourself. Are you that dumb? Tyler's to me. Totalitarian, the one and only motherfucker. I can't stand it, planned it, gonna crash landed. Another words consider me branded. Another version of me, another version of you. But first, what you gotta do? I hear a human noise. You might tell a fucking choice. I'm allowed to only make sounds for my referee. I can only die over time. Filthy ass, stay away from me. Gentlemen, welcome back to It's No Time Cop. This is Gabriel Mara. I have since collected myself from my racial outrage. Anyway, I'm here with Cody Robinson. That literally sounds like you're just like, like we literally turn off the mic and you're just like, black people, right? Yeah. <laughs> I no, want, if someone literally just fast forward halfway through the podcast, they're gonna stop and just be like, racial they're, outrage. They're gonna be like, what? What are they listening to? I swear, um, these, these, these darkies <laughs> are invading cinema. No, whatever. And also, there is Mr. Ibrahim Ochik. You? And I believe we are diving right into our review of Sean William Scott's Goon. I'd like to start perhaps with Cody. What is your thoughts on Goon? Well, first off, a little bit of a... Uh, background? Background on it. The, uh... 
Um, but it's a little known movie, so. Well, yeah, of course. Um, the film's uh, films about a character named Doug, labeled an outcast by his brainy family. A bouncer overcomes long odds to lead a team of underperforming misfits to the semi-pro hockey glory, beating the crap out of everything that stands in his way. Um, Goon uh, was directed last year by a guy named Michael Dowes. Um, an actor that unfortunately isn't known as well as he should be. He directed a film called Ubar. Um, it was one of the first films shot totally diddly. Did diddly. Digitally. <laughs> shot for diddly. Shot digitally. For diddly. Digitally. Um, and was actually was accepted into the Sundance Film Festival. Had a lot of buzz going into it. He was looking like he was going to be the next big thing. Um, now ask me why he wasn't. Why not, Cody? Because that year was 1999. Oh. And the night that he premiered was exactly one screening before another little film. The Blair Witch Project. <sighs> Just wiping him off the map. Totally putting him into obscurity for several years. Um, he's done, he's done a handful of films as the years have gone on. But, uh... The, str the, the biggest power of it... Uh, well, of course, the last film he did was Take Me Home Tonight. Which I hear, for all intents and purposes, was not terrible. Just not worth... Just not very good. Just not... It was solid. I, I watched it. Um, it. It was fun. It was cute. Uh, slight, but... I think, a, I think a, a, a slow burn approach might have done better for it. That's probably true. Um... Now, also, quickly, I would like, if, if at all possible, I think we should push for any film shot digitally, we shall call it, you shot it diddly. Diddly. Because, <laughs> again, at the same time, compared to digital versus actual film, you're shooting it for diddly. So, yeah, diddly. True. It's no time cop. <laughs> um, April 7, 2012. You shot it diddly from here. Cody, go on. <laughs> Anyway, um, so the, the lead is played, uh, the character of Doug is played by Sean William Scott, looking oddly puffy-faced yeah. in this movie. Did anyone notice that? I couldn't quite figure it I out. I felt it helped the character. I, I don't know if it's something he did, or I would have to look into it. Um, of course, his best friend is played by Jay Brashell, who is also a uh, writer on this film. Yeah. Um, a co-writer with Evan Goldberg, who also wrote um, Super Superbad. And Pineapple Express. It's Pineapple Express. Uh, first off, what the fuck does Jay think he's doing with his hair? <laughs> <laughs> Every time he's in a movie playing, playing in a movie where he has semi-control of the character, he always has that stupid fucking haircut. I think that he does it in... I like to think that his character of Undeclared is Jay Baruchel in the sense that he thinks it's cool doesn't believe in his heart that it's cool. He wants to be cool. Not knowing that doing that is uncool. Okay, I just... Ugh, that happens. <laughs> but... So I guess right away, I, I have to state, the one thing that I, I... I took a bunch of notes for once while doing it. I noticed. Um, the one thing that I liked about is this has to be the most polite sports movie I've ever seen. Fair enough. Where nobody in the film, like, if the coach is hard-ass, sure, but he's coach. But the coach that helps him along, um, Jesus Christ, I should pull up his name, but who helps him, 
Like, he's very polite. So I and he's, think, and he's, he's a good guy. I think it's a Canadian um, Rocky. In a lot of ways, Nicholas Campbell um, plays his first coach, um, Roy. Where, where Mickey is a sweetheart instead of a rough and tumble, man, yeah. rock, you are terrible. I only hate you because I love you. It's instead, it's, you know what? You're a good guy. Let's make this happen. Yeah. There was this, <coughs> excuse me, this level of uh, just polite honorability to everyone involved. Short of, of course, characters like Xavier Laflame, uh, played by Marc Andre Grondin. 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 Um, who, what else was he in? He, his biggest film he's known for is a French film called Crazy. C period R period A period. Interesting. Crazy. Um, um with my, there, by with the my way, quick view, he looked kind of like Ashton Kutcher. Like, oh, no, he doesn't. He looks like fucking Edgar Wright. I yes! wrote that down. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright or Jason Reitman, who could be twins. <laughs> yes, he looks like Edgar Wright, like a French Edgar Wright. Um, I... I also love the fact that we have, um, oh, and by the way, Crazy, there is a poster for that movie in some movie we've watched, but I can't remember what it was, that it was actually pointed out in something that we watched, but I don't, I have no idea, I'll have to go back. Well, sorry, that sorry, listeners, I brought that up to just be like, so it's in a movie, find that poster in a movie, and let me know. Challenge us. Exactly, find it for me, because it's been bothering me the entire picture. Um... The film also stars one of my favorite actors for several years, Liev Schreiber. The man can narrate anything. He's one of the great white narrators. For me, Liev Schreiber is one of those invisible actors that I know I should appreciate, but honestly, gun to my head, what has he been in? I don't know. Oh, I can already list you off. He was in uh, the the Woodstock movie with Dimitri Martin. Taking Woodstock. Taking Woodstock. He was in X-Men Origins. Who was he as Origins? He was Saber oh, Tooth. Origins, never yeah, mind. Yeah, he was Saber yeah, Tooth. He was in Scream 1, 2, and 3. Who's he in 1, 2, and He's 3? He's Cotton Leary, the, one, the person originally accused of killing Sydney's mother. <laughs> I thought the only people in 1, 2, and 3 were Nev Campbell, Courtney nope. Cox, and David Arquette. Nope, he was in all of those. Really? He, uh, he's been in several. And he narrated, I'm pretty sure he narrated the Americas, This America, This Is Our Story. Like He does a lot of History Channel work, I too. think I confused him with Skeet Ulrich. Vague, <laughs> good-looking white guys in, around vaguely above my age who do a lot of anonymous, appreciated work. Oh, no. Lee Schreiber has consistently... He was in Salt. He was in Defiance. He was... Oh, apparently... So far, nothing I've seen or cared about. Um... Oh, RKO 281. He played Orson Welles. Mm. Yeah, whatever. Um... <laughs> <laughs> he's in Twilight? No, that was the first a Twilight. Different yeah, Twilight. A different Twilight. I apologize. He was in Phantoms! Dude was in Phantoms! Who are you? He was in Phantoms. End of conversation. <laughs> but anyway, so I like... Oh, he's a repo man. I want to see that for what? Yes, so Leif Schreiber's amazing. That's what we can take away I'll, from I'll him. back you. Um, he's amazing in this, at any rate. Also, what was really interesting to see was uh, Rick Mabe. Who's that? Uh, Ricky Mabe uh, played Stevenson. He was like the nice guy. Like, oh, the yeah. Really, he was so familiar. The really baby face. He was from Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Who was he again? He I was, know his face. He was the... Uh, I can't describe him a line. He was like the, the like the blonde, like puritanical looking yeah, guy. Yeah, the nice kid. Yeah, the nice kid. Um, 
Which kind of actually segues me over to what kind of interested me in this film to begin with before I really, because I haven't even gotten to talking about it, yeah. like it or not. But what interests me in this film to begin with is Sean William Scott was actually originally signed on and specifically had the part written for him for Kevin Smith's upcoming film, Hit Somebody. And instead of doing Hit Somebody, he chose instead to do this film. Which kind of makes me worry about Hit Somebody. Um, well, Kevin Smith's actually come out and said that he uh, has seen Hit Somebody, and he was nervous, or not Hit Somebody, seen cool. Goon, and was very nervous and found it that he's like, he's like, actually, it was a great film, it's a totally different movie than I want to make. Um, you know, I had no hard feelings towards him, he obviously wanted to make a hockey film, so he did. Um, with all of this said, and back up, what a good fucking movie. Like, just a really good sports movies. I love sports movies. I never, I won't even call myself the biggest sports fan. I mean, I grew up watching hockey. I'm the biggest of, yeah. Between me and Ibrahim, you are the biggest sports fan. Yeah, I'm the biggest sports fan. But, um, I, I'm not the guy who knows stats or whatever, but I love sports movies. Asterix 61, The Bronx is Burn. I love, I especially love baseball sports movies, but, um, and, but I actually grew up watching, going to hockey games a lot when I was a kid. And you it, have Slapshot? No, unfortunately. Can you get us Slapshot? Um, it was on Netflix for quite a oh, while. Oh, shame. I missed it. Because honestly, it was one of those movies that, I mean, one Paul Newman, two awesome. So. Yeah. Um, shame, I missed it. Yeah. It's, uh, I've, I've seen it. It's, it's a classic film. And it has a lot, it has some similarities to... Do you have any of the Mighty Ducks? <laughs> we are a generation of the Mighty Ducks kids. Oh, yeah, we are. Quack. You will rock, you will forever be assigned oh, to that. Kind of right. It's kind of a strange thing now. Before Mighty Ducks, We Will Rock You meant little to nothing to our people. And now, thanks to Mighty Ducks, We Will Rock You and Champions means everything everything to anyone born old enough to appreciate the Mighty Ducks. Cody, sorry. Anyway, I liked it. I liked it a lot, a lot, a lot. I can talk about it. a few little things. The, the realist of, of learning how to skate. Um, seeing his legs bow, the uh, the puck cam used really early on. That was cool. There was a camera within the puck. Um, let's see. I told apparently I wrote want the soundtrack. Um, <laughs> the first Jewish sports movie. Yeah, this is something you can play at the local like synagogue and like for the kids to be like even you can play hockey. I really <laughs> appreciated. I'm. I'm, I'm the farthest thing from Jewish. I really appreciated the the subtle, sweet application of Jew in this movie. Yeah, it really was. Um, let's see. I you know I have some more stuff to go into, but uh, uh, Gabe, you're I'll, talking. I'll, I'll take actually. No, fucking Ibrahim. Ibrahim, I like to hear your thing on this because honestly, I remember, we all watched this together not a little while ago, and if there was anyone who was. Giggling of joy was Ibrahim taking. No, it was a good fucking movie. Um, uh, probably the manliest movie I've seen all year. I feel like I grew a third nut. <laughs> uh, it's uh, I was jumping in my seat, you know. Uh, there were just all the fucking fighting, the punching, the blood, and the just the nobility and. It, it's a good fucking movie, you know? It, it, it's like, yeah, that's a man. What am I? Ibrahim's awake. Keep going. Yeah, no, let's, let's is, roll. Well, you, you get me passionate the about it. The next segment is yours. <laughs> um, 
Uh, it, it was very well written. Um, just some ex- very exciting moments. Yeah. Great. Uh, I wouldn't. Is it a cameo by Allison Pill or no? no. She was, she no, was, she was a character. She she is if if any world it's she's fourth or fifth build. She was what? I would say she in 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 not actually build, but I say in the world viewed on who's pairing, she's fourth or fifth build. I'd yeah. say. Uh, just all around good cast. It, it it just it came together very well. If I'm in Drake very quickly, uh, me and Ibrahim we we write together, and if there's someone who's like adamantly strong about the strength of structure is Abraham. How did that work for you in this? Because I know you were just, you were spot on claiming the amazing structure of how the script was built. It was very well structured. Um, Shit happened when it needed to. (laughs) Uh, I mean... What uh, can you elaborate? What what do you mean? No, man, you're you're, you're, you're the you're the Iron Colossus. I mean, like, I'm... I think that me and Ibrahim work. Me and Ibrahim, as we are, I'm, I'm a kite in the wind, and he's the man holding it. It is, like, really. Um, previous times throughout the night that um, apparently Ibrahim has this amazing skill, where Cody would be like, "Hey, Ibrahim, what minute are we at based on the structure of what's happening?" And he'd be like, "Hour fifteen, dead ass on." He did it. Well. Uh, some of those were lucky guesses, but, uh... Don't, don't put me to labs, man. <laughs> own it. No, um... Grab your junk and own it. Just, here, this is... He just put it on the table. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, two brass balls, Alec Baldwin style. <laughs> no, uh... The other one just fell. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what, what sold this for you? Because... I really, I, I, I have not heard you viscerally respond to a movie in the many years I've owned you, known you, <laughs> owned, owned you. you. Oops. Oh, that's some racist shit right I've now. known you <laughs> since then. I've never seen you viscerally reactive like this. Uh, I, I guess and you were sober. It had so much heart, you know. Uh, what's the, his name? Uh, Doug, played by Doug, Doug Glatt, played by Sean Williams. Sean Williams. I know him as Stifler. Stifler. Yeah. Uh, was just such a nice fucking regular dude, you know? But he packed a mean wallop. He was an honorable dude. He was a gentleman bruiser. Exactly. And he seemed like the kind of guy, soft-spoken, fucking chill-ass dude that I could chill with, you know, smoke a joint or two and just watch cartoons. I like this guy. And he made it to the top, knocked out fucking, what was his name? Oh, he knocked spoiler. out. He knocked out this person. <laughs> he knocked just, out a bunch of in the movie. But yeah. go on. Uh, I was rooting for who him knocked out the audience. I'll tell you what. It was uh, an underdog story with a great underdog. Um, and yeah, yeah, he was totally not hateable at all. And no, and moreover, no. everyone in that fucking movie was likable. Yeah, everyone. absolutely, absolutely. Even down to, I mean, Gabe, your two cents. You like it, right? Oh, um, I I really loved it. Okay, I mean, really, so now we can go. <laughs> okay, agree. So, like, okay, so, 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 so my, my point forward of this film is that it reminded me of um, Adam Sandler's The Water Boy, in the sense that it's an underdog story of a guy who discovers he has great skills. But what? unlike The Water Boy, Thank The you. Water Boy is inherently kind of mean-hearted at the end of it, taking advantage of a simple-minded doofus who has skills. And everyone who must bring him out as inspires him. It's it's 
stupid at the end of the day. I love the water one, don't get me wrong, but it's, at the end of the day, it's you like Bobby Boucher because you feel bad for him and he has a skill. In this film, Goon, Sean William Scott plays outside his terrain as, I think Sean William Scott is your go-to douchebag. Well, circa 1999. He's no, not he has been. He's he has been still a douchebag. He has that face. But maybe it's what Cody said. He's put on a little bit of weight. Maybe I, I like to think for this movie. And Sean William Scott is unbelievably lovable in this film. It's, I mean, if I may be the asshole I feel I often am on this show, it's, I think I'm awesome and hilarious and good looking and all, but I wanted to be Sean William Scott in this movie. To be as kind and, I, and simple in the most complimentary possible conceivable way. Simple and giving and still a motherfucking beast. And let me point out straight up that for a movie about hockey fighting, these fight scenes, as simple and cool as they are, and I love me some fight scenes... I have a list of fight scenes. This movie had some amazing, bare-bones, simple, but utterly, unbelievably badass fight scenes. Like, hella good fight scenes. I was, I was incredibly... I was won over right away by Sean William Scott, and secondly, by the hockey and the fighting. I'm not a sports guy. I mean, I like my sports, I have no commitments, but this, as a sports film, and as a fight film, leading up to the climactic fight, I, I think that, in any sports film, what makes it great is if you feel the anticipation and the excitement as if you're at a real sports game with real stakes. And, watching the climactic game, I felt my toes curling, my mouth going dry, and me gripping the seat. This is an incredible sports film and a great film. Cody, you want to respond? Um, no, I mean, I guess I can just bring up other really great points um, I've yet to hit on. First off, it's revealed very early on that uh, his the character's brother is gay. I really will say that which, that's one of my favorite bits Which of it. opens very early on, a uh, which is how his whole career started, is because he, a hockey player, a local team hockey player, makes a uh, homophobic remark, to which... Doug replies, hey, my brother's gay. Quietly, gentlemanly. And this player decides to come up and teach him a lesson for opening his mouth. To which Doug knocks him the fuck out. Sherlock Holmes, Guy Ritchie style, destroys him. Yeah. And you see this kind of... It also opens the more sadder B-plot of the simple fact that his parents don't exactly accept him or his brother for who they are. Agreed. If, if I have one criticism, that that was a plot not solved. It was a bit heavy-handed. I mean, perhaps it's, it's a, it would have been ultimately incredibly heavy-handed for them to resolve that. Yeah. It would have and been it worked. It, it worked as it did, but I think that it could have still... And for a film filled with subtle moments of heavy-handed scenes, they could have done that also. I feel... First, an ultimate tying up, but... It's true. No, I feel like my other only uh, issue is, is I need a little more set up from the romance. I felt like that was that was a bit... Well, it's better. Ibrahim reacted. Go on. No, um... <clears throat> the romance, uh, all of a sudden, she does fall in love with him, and it was like... 
okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, you kind of just accepted it to accept it. You know, and it's funny, it might have happened like that in real life. This is actually based on true story. No shit. Yeah, um, I saw that in the It's like, a book. Really? It's a book by a guy named Doug Smith. Wow. But, uh, it's, there's probably some truth to it that, you know, but he doesn't know what was going on in her head at the time. So he just must assume that she must just start liking No, the love story for me works in that very purpose. I mean, she yeah. is dating, and I wrote this down, a young John Edwards. <laughs> the guy looked like a young John Edwards. I like the way they handled him. He doesn't have a single word of dialogue. Not which word sex or Um. But she was a little too useful, but yeah. at the same time, I, I appreciated looking through Doug's eyes what she did. You ever hear? Um... No, it, it was rushed, but I think it, they couldn't have done it any other way because uh, at the end of the day, it really was about the hockey and to, uh, you know, segue into this love story. It, it just, it would have fallen. And how could pieces. you, honestly, I could picture anyone falling for this guy. Exactly. If I was Allison Pill of Scott Pilgrim <coughs> fame and this guy, if I was a, okay, let's remove Allison Pill. If I was a, if I think any hard girl... In a hard place, who's used to being treated like, like loose. She's 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 a jerk, and no guy appreciates her. If this honest guy who has no ulterior motive is legitimately after you, and the Shalom Scott, and he's a good-looking guy, a fact of the matter, he's a badass hockey player. You're open to the idea at the very least. All right. Well, in reality. In um, reality. <laughs> um, that's a sweet notion, but ultimately, uh, I'm a blind romantic, Cody. I I want to pour some whiskey. I feel that what I don't know. It was it was rushed, but the jokes were so quick, and and even seeing like shooting ice skating is not easy. It's not because you can't be in the same place at the same time. It's it's not like you can in normal scenes you can mark. You can put tape on the ground. He was standing here last. When you're on the ice, that's consistent movement. You know, that's like watching water movie. You're gonna you're gonna move no matter what. You know, it would take the most trained and skilled of skaters to hit the mark the same every time. And I don't even know if that's truly possible. So I give a lot of credit to these people whenever they do ice skating films. And this one, you know, it had a very grungy style to how they shot the, uh, the ice skating, and it was fast and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of credit goes to. To Michael if I can put it this way before we go off to spoiler territory, um, personally, the way I like to look at any movie is what would I have done different? Cody, I mean, I we all love the movie. Yeah. If anything, what would you personally, Cody Robinson, have done different with this movie? Oh, my biggest thing was just the romance element. would have been written up a, lot, a little bit more. I would have probably cut five minutes somewhere else and spent five minutes there. Yeah, on the love scene? I, I can appreciate that. How, if anything, uh, uh, the whole thing with the parents, you know, cut a little bit from that. I would, yeah, I would have probably chopped a little Agreed. from that and added a little more because it, it was just kind of something else. Because I guess we talk about this parent thing, we haven't really got into. They just or don't just really, make the minute five, the movie five minutes longer. It was yeah. an hour thirty. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. That personally, I mean, the love story. I, I, I'm, I am so guilty of letting a, a slippery, poorly made love story slip by me because I'm one of those um, moron romantics that lets something stupid that might work work. 
But um, I feel that when it comes to a film that it, well, which works, but I feel that the parent thing is the only thing that I felt I found myself wondering about afterwards that that could have used a scene, a, a two minutes to to resolve it. I mean, I think frustrated to resolve it. But well, I feel that on the whole, it was a great movie. That I I would not really if someone gave me a chance to do it, I would not change anything. It worked. Alright. So now under what what very minimal spoilers there are. Gabe, it's time for It is time for Everybody Dies at the End. Our segment for spoilers. So at this point, if you haven't seen it, it's on video on demand where we saw it. You can get on your your Xbox. You can get it on your Roku devices. For an incredibly nominal price. Less than you could go to the theater. You don't have to go to the theater and pay fourteen dollars a person to see it, and it's 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 well worth it. So if you haven't seen it yet, if you want to sit down and watch the VOD, do it to it. Because in like five minutes, we're uh, five seconds, we're going to go into spoilers. So, and I guess really only in spoiler territory we need to talk about is stuff, just the entire third act with Lee Schreiber's character. Um, I love the pseudo heat scene that they yes! have. Yes, uh, that was Sean the Wayne's Nero style. Al Pacino. Yeah, but it was uh, gentle. But, but, it was but, it was, sweet. but it was very polite and gentlemanly. I would no. I, I think heat scene is polite and gentlemanly. I think theirs was sweet as gentlemen can be. Yeah, it's it's sweetheart gentlemen. It's in this in these in this scene. Lee Schreiber's admirable. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess one of the things that's great about this is uh, part of the film is about this other goon before him, who is now soon retiring after the season. He looked kind of like Danny McBride in this movie. Oh no! Shut up. The, it was the stash and the uh, the, the. He was mullet. trying to look Canadian. Okay. But uh, oh, okay. Wait, he, he, if I may, super quickly, Cody. Okay. Spoiler alert! In the first con- in the conversation between. Yeah, and, and the conversation between Sean William Scott and Liam Schreiber, and they expressed their admiration for each other and threat each other. And Liam Schreiber, I have never heard a more threatening, respectable, yet thoroughly Canadian, I'm going to take you down speech in all of my life. Yeah. It was so Canadian. Canadianly... Cavalier, yeah. yet I'm gonna destroy you if I must. I respect you. Yeah, it was artful. I uh, no, I definitely I felt I did. I felt that that worked perfectly, and 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 then even the final scenes themselves, where they finally go to fight, it's not shot. He's not. He's goading him to a degree, of course. Yes, but. It's clear after their fight, and of course after he beats, he he allows him. In a weird way, you could say he does allow him to win. He could have had him ended. He could have taken him. He could he could have allowed it to to end at any time on the Lee Schreiber character. He could have said, "All right, he's had enough. Take him." But he always sends you wait, you wait. Let's him get back up. Let's him. He doesn't. He doesn't take a fall because he's got too much pride in it. But he'll be goddamned if the person who's taking his uh, title as, you know, like, the, the new bruiser in town 
It'll be goddamn if he just lets it go, you know, to the wayside. And, and it's almost when they it's roll back over and you see him smiling, like you see that the he's... Tea, the tooth falls. Yeah, you see that he's allowed that to, to go on. And, Ibrahim, you know, um, what I especially appreciated um, in regards to You the were lead. jumping and pounding your fist <clears> in your hands. Bad fucking ass. The lead um, up was extraordinary. Uh, what I appreciated was how they built up the Leap Shriver character to... I, I expected him to be an asshole, a straight-up yeah. douchebag. And, you know, for him to have turned out to be this noble warrior type, uh, it, it, I, I found refreshing and... Absolutely. You know... Very uh, much so. Uh, really yeah, so. Yeah, uh, I'm glad to have seen a movie where the quote-unquote bad guy wasn't... A, a bad guy. Exactly. I think, strangely enough, I, I, I am now making a strange association with Canadian honor of Japanese honor. <laughs> that if this film was based on a samurai film, I would be like, of course it was! <laughs> that it's the honor of, I was the best, and I'm cascading. I performed for the honor of my team slash lord. And I will go down fighting for the honor. And it's just, it's a concept that doesn't mean anything now unless those you make it. This movie has honor. And I don't know what that means anymore. It's just honor. You know, and I guess ultimately at the end of the day, what makes this movie especially great, it's not a movie about the championship. Yeah. It's about getting to the playoffs. That's, yeah. if you guys don't realize it, they yeah, were the fighting game. for the shot at the playoffs. playoffs. Not even winning the big game. Yeah. And, uh, moreover, we don't even find out if the team wins it. Yeah, no, they, they don't. Just failed it's that. beautiful. It's the Rocky, well, it's opening a Rocky Five, which is, I find, which I love this film, it redeems the beginning of Rocky Five. Rocky Five opens with, oh, Adrian, I'm hurt. And it's, it somehow redeems that. It's, it's beautiful. The ending of this film is beautiful. The lead up to that fight, I honestly, if I could compile another ultimate fights, I would want that lead up. It's Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris again. It's beautiful. Well, we've hit that time of the night where Gabe's had way too much to drink and he's starting That's to... hardly... <laughs> and so we're just going to say goodnight <laughs> for this week. And it's been great having my guys with me here again. Next week, we're up in the air about what we're going to see, so I'm not going to say anything right now. Because originally, of course, we were supposed to see American Reunion, but I'm much, much happier with the choice. I'm made. so much happier with the choice. And I still had Sean William Scott, which is what I always insist upon. If Jean-Claude Van Damme played Sean William Scott, I would have been very pleased. Probably been lesser fun. I have no idea what that means. So everybody, for all of you out there listening, I answer. It's not Get up!
Just doing what 